Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. My name is Divya Inna and welcome to Talk Water, a Blue Tech research podcast series focused on providing water market intelligence, a place where we discuss new and emerging water technologies, growing markets, and how the future of the water sector is being shaped and changed by the broader mega trend of the fourth industrial revolution. Thank you very much for joining us. And again, a very warm welcome. On this episode, I speak to a number of Bluetech tag members on their top three key takeaways from the Bluetech Forum event. The theme at Bluetech Forum this year was managing water risk in a circular economy, and I ask each tag member to summarize key findings across topics such as brine management in ZLD, organic waste management, and decentralized treatment. I then speak to Reese Owen about Bluetech's top highlights for this month. For any of you in the industry, you can't but have noticed the increasing shift in dialogue towards themes such as circular economy, decentralized treatment, zero liquid discharge and water reuse. These are just some terms we saw being mentioned at large water trade shows such as IFAT in Munich a few weeks back. As we walked the trade show floor, we were struck with the shift in messaging that that we've seen since we were last there. The prevalence of companies positioning themselves as providing solutions for circular economy, zero liquid discharge and decentralized was very notable. So bringing this back to Bluetech, I have online with me three members of our technology assessment group who each ran a table on specific topics or themes that tie back to circular economy. We had Jim Hotchkeys, who ran a table on decentralized treatment, Glenn Diger hosted a table on transforming waste into value, and Michael Mickley moderated a table on brine management. So I want to speak with each of them today about three key takeaways, either, either trends or observations they noted at the forum. So, gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me today and good to have you all online. Jim, I'll start with you first. Um, you hosted a table on decentralized treatment and you had Nutera and Fluence Corporation joining at the table to support that discussion. And of course, both these organizations are well known for their work in this area. So I'm sure the conversations were very interesting. Were there any, any key uh, aspects of that conversation that, that struck you the most? Yeah, actually, I think um, one of the key things that um, came out from the discussions was a need for clarification around what we mean by decentralized treatment. Um, most of the, um, the the traditional concept of decentralized treatment deals with remote um, uh, off-site wastewater treatment plants, uh, say at construction camps or in um, uh, residential developments that aren't serviced by uh, normal normal sewerage or interstate um, shopping malls. When uh, really the, the, the true value from decentralized treatment probably lies where we, in, in some cases, move away from the traditional centralized treatment with a municipal um, uh, owner to a series of decentralized treatment systems operated and perhaps owned and operated by that centralized treatment operators so that you know, instead of building one large plant with lots of large sewer pipes going to that one plant, we have a, um, uh, an array of uh, smaller uh, plants, perhaps interconnected, but more closely 
located towards where you might potentially reuse the water or recycle nutrients or whatever. So it, it's really taking um, the, the, the general uh, municipal services to a more local level. So it's not so much looking at the traditional package plans that have been around for 50, 60 years, but moving to a concept where we look at different ways to deliver municipal wastewater treatment more along the lines of a decentralized server type arrangement we see in IT. And did you get a chance to speak to the utility uh, folks in the room on the day, Jim, about this? I, I, I did. And, and um, you know, they're, they're aware of um, this being a very interesting concept for emerging uh, communities. So it's very hard to go back to an existing community like Chicago or Washington or Vancouver yeah. and, and you know go to a decentralized system. But if you're building new cities like in Peoria, Arizona, um, you know, it, perhaps the, the best solution or an interesting solution would be to look at a series of decentralized plants all interconnected as opposed to one large plant because certainly in areas like that, if you can treat wastewater locally to reuse yeah. quality, um, you can reuse it immediately. Of course, yeah. So, so the concept was, you know, perhaps with emerging economies or developing economies mm -hmm. or, um, uh, you know, basically uh, migration from, say, Rust Belt areas to uh, Sun Belt areas. Uh, this mm -hmm. might be an interesting alternative to the conventional concept of um, centralized treatment. Yeah, and we're seeing increasingly that suppliers of solutions leverage alternative financial models such as leasing or rental systems, or we see water energy purchase agreement models, a bit like what Cambrian, uh, Cambrian Innovation offer. Another notable trend is that the growth of the Internet of Things, or IoT, uh, plus the increasing use of artificial intelligence uh, and data analysis, remote monitoring are all increasingly providing a way for modular systems to be to be remotely managed. Okay, and Jen, perhaps I'll jump over to you at this point and say you, you moderated the table on organic waste management and transforming waste into value. And we had a lot of end-user interest on this table because it isn't just about recovering resources. We all know the benefits of that, but the real question is, can we transform waste into into value in a cost-effective manner. Um, so, what were some of the what were some of the interesting things that you heard on your table there, Glenn? Well, two of the uh, key observations were two different sides of the same coin, because uh, there was both optimism and pessimism. <laughs> uh, as you know, Divya, the first group was very optimistic about this and had uh, you know, quite a number of different kinds of instances where, uh, where uh, organic matter was, was being uh, uh, utilized productively to make energy and so forth. Uh, mm -hmm. And, and you know, we're very uh, optimistic about the future. Uh, the the uh, second table, uh, the group of people that came were, were basically pessimistic. So one group saw the uh, potential and the uh, and the opportunities and were doing it, and the uh, second group saw more of the of the you know of the problems. Uh, I tell people that uh, you know the fact that there's good and bad to everything has a name, and it's called life. That's just the way life <laughs> is. So it's interesting to, to you know to see those perspectives. Uh, 
certainly, and you know, one of the so the optimistic key takeaway is that yes, there are people that are doing this. They're、uh, and quite frankly, a growing number, and they're they're benefiting、uh, both economically and in and in other ways. Uh, but uh, uh, the the second group really started、uh, with the、uh, you know the uh, uh, low price of、uh, natural gas and the declining price of natural gas and、uh, you know in North America because of、uh, you know because of uh, uh, of uh, fracking and uh, unconventional uh, uh, you know unconventional fossil fuel and so forth. Uh, and that's a reality as well. So,、yeah. the to a certain extent, the one of the keys is understanding the the business model and putting these things together. So, the 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 combination of these two comments really is about understanding that being able to produce something is interesting, but irrelevant. Until it's produced in a way that someone actually wants to wants to buy it, so the business model becomes the uh, uh, the critical thing here, and is uh, uh, you know the good news, quite frankly, is that we have plenty of technology, but it's actually putting together the business model, so to speak, that's uh, that's uh, crucial. The third takeaway. Is that、uh, the focus on the value of the product solely the value of the product、uh, is not the right is not the right focus, not the right perspective. That one has to look at how, as you recover materials, not only the cost to do that, the revenue that's produced, but the other benefits,、uh, you know, to to the、uh, the operator in doing that. So. Uh, uh, Phosphorus, although you were commenting on,、uh, you know, the the the、uh, unorganic matter, the group, you know, pretty quickly started talking more broadly about、uh, materials that could be、uh, recovered. But、uh, phosphorus is an example where, by recovering phosphorus, it actually,、uh, in some ways,、uh, you know, it has benefits in terms of、uh, uh, of minimizing struvite production in a in a plant. It also allows one to of biosolids if biosolids are being、uh, managed through land application to better balance the nitrogen and phosphorus and and make it more valuable actually to the uh, uh, you know to the end user. Myself, I came away、uh, seeing the progress that's been being made, the learning that's occurring in the field in terms of uh, recovering uh, resources. Uh, and again, the specific lessons in terms of how we need to be to be thinking about this. Yeah, that's very interesting, Erdan. You had some very interesting points. Technologies enabling resource recovery are anticipated to continue to be attractive as long as they're coupled with effective business models. Glenn, I think that's that's your key point. This is the second time that this has come up so far. Obviously, Jim mentioned this earlier as well. Of course, when you talk about transforming waste into value. Other questions you have to take into consideration are, you know, number one, is there even a market for the recovered material?、Uh, number two, are there any institutional or regulatory barriers that will dictate how products recovered from waste is managed compared to virgin materials?、Um, so, thank you very much for that, Glenn. Very insightful piece.、Um, 
just talking about recovering recycling wastewater, I want to talk to you, Mike, about your table on zero liquid discharge. When we were initially thinking about this, we had the questions we had in mind was, you know, what prompts companies to opt for zero liquid discharge and when is it absolutely necessary? Um, and when is it a waste of money and time? This was again a well-attended table and we heard multiple views from it from players in the mining sector to food and beverage to L'Oreal and from the cosmetic industry. So what was your experience running this table? Um, uh, it, it was interesting in that there was uh, also in this area kind of a interweaving of uh, the negative and the positive or the concerns uh, and innovation. Uh, the background, of course, which is probably uh, the concern area is that uh, the takeaways were against the historical picture where the markets are kind of limited. They're focused on the power and uh, conventional oil and gas uh, operations. Uh, they were uh, slow growth, but steady growth. But mm -hmm. the technologies have uh, been unchanged for uh, many years. And of course, the big concern is they're very uh, costly. Then the uh, positive takeaway, the first was that uh, the minimal liquid discharge, MLD and zero liquid discharge, ZLD markets are uh, poised to grow uh, with interest in new applications. And those are primarily in uh, unconventional oil and gas operations and also uh, industrial reuse and recycle. And uh, another positive is that because of this uh, reading of the potential, uh, many companies have been looking at reducing costs through use of uh, uh, alternative technologies or modification of conventional technologies. And indeed, uh, several of them have demonstrated uh, reduced costs. Uh, most of it's at a pilot stage, but there have been uh, indications at the demonstration stage and even some commercial operations. Uh, costs have been reduced uh, generally from maybe 30 to 60% for both uh, capital and operating uh, costs. And in some cases where waste heat uh, could be used, uh, the energy savings uh, were even greater. So that was positive. The uh, yeah. second key takeaway was probably a little bit more on the negative side, and that is uh, despite this momentum for change, there are barriers that will affect the timing of uh, these technologies becoming uh, more readily available. And of course, we always have uh, clients that are reluctant to take risks uh, implementing new approaches or technologies that uh, have a limited track record. Mm -hmm. uh, the companies that are doing the research also have uh, considerable challenges in that uh, there are many potential applications and they're over a wide range of uh, feed water qualities, salinities, complexity of the waters, uh, such that it takes uh, considerable time and effort and funding for these companies to uh, define a marketing niche and uh, perhaps more specifically to define their uh, performance and uh, cost envelopes. Mm -hmm. And then we always have, uh, this came up multiple times, the 
Ever present, Barry, what do you do with the final residuals? And uh, then kind of switching to the positive, uh, the first takeaway was the picture of the traditional pictures changing. The second takeaway was there's still these barriers. The third takeaway is that some companies are addressing these barriers in innovative uh, ways. Uh, in terms of addressing uh, companies that have limited uh, track records, some of those companies are taking on the risk by uh, defining their marketing approach as design, build, own, and operate. And in terms of uh, addressing the challenge of dealing with final residuals, uh, some of the companies are offering a complete service where they will even take the residuals and deal with them. So that's uh, kind of the big picture. And we did get uh, an indication which I thought was very positive, and that is uh, many of the uh, clients are increasingly concerned with um, managing water in a more responsible and sustainable uh, manner, and that included uh, consideration of these uh, MLD and ZLD systems. Good to see. Good to see progress in this area. And what I've learned, or what strikes me, is that across the industry, I think we're beginning to see shifts in in value chain, meaning. We're seeing a fundamental shift in the value chain towards solution providers who seek to offer a comprehensive range of goods and services under one roof and can become service providers through IoT-enabled remote monitoring um, and water as a service business models. Jim mentioned this when he spoke about decentralized systems. Glenn mentioned that being able to produce something is interesting but irrelevant until it's produced in a way that one actually wants to buy it. The other big observation is digital water and data. The circular economy of water will only become more and more important and the role of digital as a key enabler will grow as well. Whether it's because of operational issues or because of challenges like energy and water usage, companies are turning to digital to find solutions for resource challenges. On a final note, Bluetech, at Bluetech we think water like an open economy. We think of water like an open economy. It's not a close thing. It's anything that touches water. We're not buffered or insulated from what's happening outside of water. So whether it's major advances in biotechnology or IoT or advanced material science, they often find ways of, of affecting water. Whether material science or nanotechnology can lead to a better membrane, we see that happening already, or advances in medical biotechnology like metagenomics uh, is leading to a much better understanding of what's happening in wastewater, in, in, in our wastewater treatment plants. Uh, whether it's digital, enabling us to be more efficient in operations, all of this are macro-level trends that are finding their way into water as well. So it's very interesting to note these changes, and circular economy is a theme that we're going to continue to track. Um, so thank you very much, Jim, Mike, and Glenn, for joining me t today. For Bluetech clients, all conference materials and conference proceedings from Bluetech Forum will, will be made available to you for viewing. Uh, if you don't know where to get hold of this information, please feel free to get in touch with us. I'm here with our research editor, Reese Owen. Uh, Reese, take us through some of the highlights this month from our research. Hi, Divya. Okay, well, one of our main pieces of research this month is a horizon scan into flotation technology. 
This is a well-established and cost-effective treatment for wastewater in many areas. It's a mature technology. True technical innovations have been quite few and far between in recent years. There's the holy grail of flotation technology is being able to produce very small bubbles, which are essential for good performance without overly demanding energy. Uh, now, recent advances in nanogas technology might soon change this. There's more on that in the report where we compare 12 leading suppliers in terms of their technical specifications and commercial success. And that's by our tag expert, Mike Adkins. And uh, meanwhile, fellow tag expert Mark Wilf has reviewed aquamembranes, which 3D prints spaces directly onto the surface of RO membranes. And what this does is save space within the membrane elements, so you can pack a larger surface area of membrane into a smaller area. It increases efficiency, and it's a very intriguing and innovative solution. It does away with the spacer altogether. Uh, it's yet to be put to the full test yeah. in a variety of commercial settings, but it looks promising. Okay. And, of course, last month we saw a very successful Bluetech Forum in Vancouver. That's right, yeah. Uh, for those who are unable to make it, we're providing a brief roundup from our tag experts. Uh, also, a detailed and very interesting analysis of what's new in biosolids from tag expert William Toffey, who attended the uh, WEF Residuals and Biosolids Conference in Phoenix in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And finally, sticking with the conference's theme, uh, we're looking forward to the return of Singapore International Water Week, which was last held in 2016. Uh, The event includes two days of technical sessions, which is where our focus is uh, with Bluetech. It's a very comprehensive, if slightly daunting, program. Many, many, many papers and presentations. We have analysed them and picked through and curated a top 30 list for our clients, uh, which we feel are the most impactful and relevant to help you with your event planning. So have a look out for that. Perfect. Thanks very much, Reese. And also just to mention the DAF report, there is a webinar taking place in the month of July. Uh, for clients can attend that live uh, or also refer back to the recorded version on the platform with along with the slides that's also made available. Aqua Membranes were one of the companies that showcased also at Blue Tech Forum this, this year. Yeah. Uh, we have a case study that they presented at the event um, so for those who are interested, please get in touch with us for that. Um, we wish our audience a fantastic summer. And if you're heading off on vacation, have a fantastic holiday. We'll be back next month with more content. Have a great week, everybody. And other than that, thanks very much, Reese. That was, that was fantastic. Thank you. Thank you.